Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's good to see you. Well, grab your Bible this morning, open it to Joshua chapter 5. I'm excited to just, I, uh, I don't have a whole lot more time this morning, so I just want to talk about a couple things in Joshua chapter 5 that are some significant moments in the life of the Israelite people in Joshua chapter 5 that reminded them of the victory that God had given them. These two things are circumcision and Passover. And you and I also have things that remind us of the victory we have in Jesus, and that's water baptism and communion. And I want to show you this morning how those two things are actually connected in God's word and how Jesus actually fulfills circumcision and Passover and started a new covenant with the people of this planet in water baptism and communion. It's a great little thing. But before I begin, uh, I had a little girl this morning look at me and go, whoa, what's that? This is my scruff. Okay, this is my scruff. And I have to tell you about my scruff just so you don't think that I lost my razor at camp while I was pulling kids on my boat tubing. Uh, Kate's mom's husband passed away about a month and a half ago, and his name was Bob. And I get the pleasure of doing his celebration of life service this Saturday in Montana. And one of the things that Bob had was this great white beard. And so in honor of Bob, uh, I'm growing a beard for Bob on that day. And that was significant and good. So I'm kind of proud of my little partly white beard for Bob. But I was thinking about two things that I could do to honor Bob. And one of the things that Bob and I used to argue about all the time, because he's a Montana Grizz fan, we used to argue about Eastern Washington, Montana stuff all the time, right? And so I thought I could either grow a beard or I could wear a Montana Grizzly hat. And then I decided I can't degrade myself. I can't lower my standards. I can't choose to wear things just because. So I chose the beard. Chose the beard. So thanks for letting me have a little fun with my beard today. Open to Joshua chapter 5. It's, it's a good day. We had a great week at camp. And now I want to just, I want to show you some things really quickly here in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, the Israelites have gotten to this place um, of great victory. They've been delivered from Egypt. They've walked out of all of that victory They've been in the desert for 40 years, and God has taken care of them every single day, so they've seen victory every single day. Now they have defeated their enemies on the eastern side of the Jordan River. God's given victory in that. They've walked through the Jordan River on dry land, and they get to the other side. They're getting ready to enter into the promises of God and all of the victory that God has for them. But before they do that, God has them pause. God has them pause for a moment and spend a little bit of time, probably about a week, going through circumcision and celebrating Passover. Look at it with me in Joshua chapter 5. Let me read the scripture to you, and then uh, I want to make some points about it and make some parallels to how you and I understand the victory that we have in Jesus. Joshua 5 verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haralah. 
Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had, had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. It's very important for us to remember, isn't it? We talked about this quite a bit yesterday. We made our pile of rocks so that we would always have something to remember what God has done. In fact, we find that throughout the Old Testament regularly. They'd make pile of rocks all over the land to help them remember the stories that would be orally passed down generation after generation about the good things that God has done. Well, here we see the Israelites ready to enter God's promises for them. But before they do, they partake in two very important traditions that remind them of the victory they have in God. And it's circumcision and Passover. Now you'll remember circumcision. It started with Abraham. It was this, this point in Abraham's life where God said, I'm going to set you apart from all people on the planet. And the way that I want you to set yourself apart is to be circumcised. And from this point on, that, that will remind you of the covenant relationship that I have with you and that you are my people. But while they were in slavery, they had forgotten. You'll notice that even while they're in the desert, those that had been circumcised didn't even circumcise their own sons like they were supposed to on the eighth day. They had just completely forgotten the covenant. Now, what's the problem with forgetting about this? The problem with forgetting about the covenant is they've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten who, who their father is. They've forgotten that they are the people of God. And circumcision was one of those moments where they needed to remember who they were. And so they stop and all the men are circumcised and they remember who they are in, in God. Now this is important for us too because we often do the same thing. We get stuck in our sin and we forget who we are. 
Now in verse 9, God said something very powerful to Joshua about circumcision. I want to show it to you. In verse 9, God said this, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. As they went through this moment of circumcision, Jesus and God declared this over his people. I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, this is an extremely important moment. Let me tell you why. The word reproach is the Hebrew word herpa, and it means disgrace or shame. See, the people of God have been slaves for 400 years, and after you've lived in slavery for 400 years, it becomes your identity. You now see yourself as a slave. You don't see yourself as a free person. So now, as you, even though you're entering into the promise of God, you still have this shame on you. You still have this disgrace that you've lived in and your father's lived in and your grandpa and, and about 10 of your other grandpas. They've all lived in this shame and this disgrace of being a slave. And God was telling them that this moment of cutting away something on your flesh, circumcision, I want you to know I'm also cutting away your shame. I'm cutting away the disgrace from your life. It's no longer who you are. Live in the freedom and the victory and the promises that I will give you for the rest of your life as you obey me and obey my word. What a good word from God. Now, how does that connect to you and I? How does that connect to Jesus? Well, follow me. About 1,500 years later, Jesus comes on the scene. And the Israelite people are, are still in the habit of circumcision. Only there's a problem that they've attached to it. They've misconstrued circumcision now. They've, they've added things to it and taken things away. And now circumcision not only means the covenant relationship that the Jews have had, but now the Jews have added prejudice and racism and hatred to circumcision. And if you weren't circumcised, you were somebody that they would not associate with, that they would hate, and that they would not even be in the same room with you simply because you weren't circumcised. And so now God is going to change circumcision completely and he's going to bring a whole new covenant into spiritual life with God that we call water baptism. Let me show you how this works in God's word because as Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the dead, he institutes something new, water baptism that you and I are called to enter into as believers in Jesus Christ, and it becomes our new tradition of what it means to live in the covenant of salvation with God Almighty. Now, for those of you that are men in the room, we want to be the first to say what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that our covenant no longer deals with a sharp object in my private part. I'd much rather have the water. Thank you, Lord. But let's look at how that takes place theologically and how it needs to become a part of our thinking. Now, this is laid out for us best in several places in Scripture, but
but probably Colossians 2 is one of the best spots. So look at Colossians 2, 8 through 15 with me, because it lays out very beautifully why circumcision is so important. I'm sorry, why water baptism takes the place of circumcision, but how the two are joined together to make this beautiful covenant relationship that we have with God. Colossians 2 verse 8 starts here. And verse 8 says this, See to it then that you know that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Are there any hollow and deceptive philosophies in our culture? <laughs> we could go on all day, couldn't we? Which depend on human tradition. And the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Let me stop here. This verse is important because it sets up water baptism. You'll remember that in this point, Paul the Apostle, this letter, the letter to the Christians in Colossae, which we call Colossians, is being written to a whole new generation of people that are believing in Jesus Christ for the first time. They are Gentiles. They're not Jews. They know nothing of circumcision. They know nothing of the Old Testament covenant belief of circumcision. They have no value or purpose or reason to be circumcised. They just know Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his death, the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, living and walking in the Spirit. Yet the Jews are coming along and the Jews are saying, no, if you really want to be a really good Christian, you need to be circumcised. And the Apostle Paul is addressing that deceptive philosophy, that hollow thinking, that human tradition. And he's declaring it as something that, that does not actually help you live for Christ. It's just a tradition that is now pointless because of the cross and the resurrection. In fact, in other spots, Paul said this in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So as the Jews are trying to get these Gentile believers to believe in this deceptive philosophy, Paul says no. In fact, don't let anyone take you captive in your thinking. Just let your thoughts always be about Jesus. And then verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him 
through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now follow me. What, what Paul is saying is water baptism is the new circumcision. That water baptism takes the place of circumcision. But not only does it take the place of circumcision, it's better. And let me tell you why. In circumcision, you would cut off a part of your body, and then you would from that point say, I'm in covenant relationship with God. But Paul is saying, no, that's not true. We have a tendency to use our whole body. Our whole body for sinfulness, don't we? And what Paul is saying is when you enter the water of baptism, what you are symbolizing and experiencing to yourself is Jesus is circumcising your whole body. Every part of your body now becomes something that you can use for the glory of Christ, for the glory of the kingdom. And when you enter the water of baptism, an extremely significant moment is taking place as Jesus transforms your entire thinking, heart, mind, soul, spirit to glorify him. Now, how does that take place or how can that take place is the next question that you see in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now here's the point. Water baptism is a connection between you and Jesus' cross and between you and Jesus' resurrection. And this is how it works. This is the symbolism that's wrapped up in all this truth and theology. The water symbolizes death and life. It symbolizes death because if we held you under it, you would go meet Jesus, right? You'd die. You'd go meet Jesus. So going under the water, being completely immersed in the water, symbolizes your death. But it doesn't just symbolize your death. It connects your death, your spiritual death, the death of your sin to the cross. That your sin, when Jesus died on the cross, it died there too. That when you put faith in Jesus Christ and you got in the water of baptism and you went under the water, it symbolizes that your sins are dead. They're gone and you have victory in Christ. Paul said it like this. You're no longer in debt. It canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness. And what stood against you and what condemned you has been taken away, nailed 
to the cross. And any power or authority that comes against you, don't worry about it. Because Jesus made a public spectacle of it and triumphed over it on the cross. And that's what water baptism is symbolizing. And when you come up out of the water, you're symbolizing what? I've just risen to new life. I have a new life in Christ. And I've now been connected to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. My life will never be the same. I hope you've been water baptized. But if you haven't, could I just make this declaration? If you have believed in Jesus Christ and said yes to Jesus, water baptism is your next step. It's your next step to declare to yourself and to the world that you are Jesus. I remember that moment, and every time we have water baptism, I remember that moment for me. And it reminds me of that time when I was in middle school, and we went to our youth, youth leader's home, and he had a jacuzzi, and we tried to, to baptize a six-foot-three guy in a very small jacuzzi. <laughs> it worked because I've never been the same. It changed my life. And from that day forward, I've lived freely and fully for Jesus. And I want the same for you. So the next time we talk about water baptism, if you haven't been baptized, jump in. The next thing that happens is Passover. Now, Passover also has enormous significance. It had great significance to the Jewish people in Joshua chapter 5, especially because they weren't very far removed from it. In fact, many of the young people that were getting ready to go into the promised land, they were probably in their 40s at this point, actually maybe their 50s, but Passover, the original Passover, had only taken place about 42 to 43 years earlier. So it was very real in their minds. Everything that had just transpired in their culture was real and vibrant in their minds still to this day. They would have remembered as young people that their parents took them in the backyard and they took a lamb that was without blemish, without spot, and had no broken bones, and they killed it together. And they got the blood from that lamb, and they took the blood, and they spread it over the doorposts of their home, as they had been instructed by Moses. And then they took that lamb that evening, and they roasted it together, and they put it over fire, and they ate it together, and then they ate some unleavened bread, and they went to sleep. And you'll remember the story. During the night, God sent an angel of death. And whoever didn't have the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, their firstborn died. It was the last great plague in Egypt, and it, that was the night that Pharaoh finally relented and let God's people go. And here are the Israelites celebrating the Passover all over again. Because God had said, from this point on, I want you to celebrate Passover every single day from this point forward. And this is what 
the Israelites are doing. In fact, they've had a pretty important week. They've had a pretty powerful week in Joshua chapter 5. You'll remember they've started a new year. They've celebrated Passover as the first celebration of the new year. They've crossed the Jordan as God parted the water. They've been circumcised. Now they're celebrating the most significant spiritual day in their history. God was doing some great things. God was doing lots of new things, and God was giving them victory. For 1,500 more years, every single year, they celebrated Passover. Until we get to one significant evening. When Jesus, with the cross on his mind and in his heart, sits down with his disciples and they celebrate the Passover for the last time. Now, the disciples didn't know it. They were completely unaware of the powerful victory that was about to transpire for them and for every single person that has ever lived on this planet. A victory that would last for eternity, a victory for every person who's ever lived, but a victory that would come at a very, very high price as God Almighty himself allowed men to crucify him. During that meal, Jesus changed Passover. During that meal, Jesus changed Passover to what we call communion. And he started a new covenant with every person in the world. In Luke twenty two nineteen, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to them just like we did this morning, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now, I want to show you just quickly the radical statement that Jesus was making. Jesus is transitioning their thinking from a lamb's blood on a doorpost to his blood on a cross. See, the first thing Jesus said was what? Take this bread. This is my body, which is given for you. Passover was a celebration of a lamb's body given for them. But now the lamb of God will give his body for you. And second, Jesus said, the new covenant The way forgiveness and the way relationship with God will now work will not be because of a lamb's blood. It will be because of my blood. My blood is the new covenant. And so when you believe in me and you believe in me as your savior and you believe that my blood covers your sin, 
you will be forgiven and you will receive victory over slavery to sin, over your past, over shame and disgrace. See, in the Passover context, Jesus is also saying that my blood will save you from death. Just like a lamb's blood at Passover saved the community from death, my blood from this point on will save you from eternal death. And then after Jesus celebrated Passover with the disciples and started a new covenant for you and me, this perfect man allowed men to falsely arrest him in the middle of the night, beat him, spit on him, hit him, mock him. And this perfect man with no blemishes dies on a cross to give you and me victory. And when the soldiers come around to break his legs and to break his bones so that he would die quicker, Jesus is already dead so they don't break his bones in fulfillment of a perfect lamb taking our place. See, Jesus fulfills all the law and all the prophets and all the spiritual requirements that God has for you and I to be in relationship with Jesus. So when we take communion today, we are celebrating the victory that we have in Jesus. We are celebrating his body that is given for us and his blood that was poured out to start a new covenant with you and I. I declare these things to you today because I'm encouraged by these two very, very important moments that we have in our faith on a regular basis that remind us of the victory we have in Jesus. Whenever somebody gets water baptized, it reminds us of our own victory. It reminds us of our own baptism. It reminds us of their victory and our victory and the victory we need to be declaring to the world around us. When we take communion, it reminds us that Jesus went to the cross and rose again so that you and I might have victory and enter a new covenant relationship with God Almighty. Would you stand with me this morning? It's fitting, and I think the Holy Spirit did this. It wasn't our plan, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't our plan to match Joshua 5 and water baptism and communion on the same day. We did not think of that three months ago when we were planning the sermon series. But the Holy Spirit did, didn't he? And so you and I have experiencing some, have experienced something today together as the people of God that is very important. And we will continue to experience these things as people get saved and get water baptized. But let me encourage you again, if you haven't been water baptized, I highly encourage you. It needs to be your next step. It needs to be the next step of your faith and the victory that you have in Christ as you receive that through the waters of baptism. I also want to just encourage you. Sometimes there are days or weeks, and sometimes they turn into months or even a year, where we don't feel like we're living in the victory in Jesus. There's lots of reasons why that might happen, 
But as we can see from the scriptures we looked at today, probably the most prominent reason that you and I wouldn't receive or understand or live in the victory of Jesus is because we've allowed some sort of sin to have victory instead of Jesus to have victory. And so I want to encourage you today, if there's something that, for whatever reason, some sort of deceptive philosophy or hollow tradition or sinful lifestyle that you've held on to, and you'd like to walk in victory in Jesus, but you just can't seem to get that going, I want to encourage you to ask for forgiveness for that. Would you take a moment with Jesus today sometime, confess your sin to him, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to walk out of that sin and to begin to live in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to give you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you died to give us victory. You rose again from the dead that we might live victorious lives. And you've given us water baptism and communion to have regular reminders of this victory. Would you help us to be people that live in victory? Help us to be people that live in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory we have in Jesus. Help us to live in our identity, to live in Christ, not in the world, not in ourselves, not in hollow philosophy or allow anything to take us captive except for the love, the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. May you use us mightily, Lord Jesus, to help a lost and hurting world to discover the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was great to see you this morning. Thanks for a great Sunday morning. And always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.